So let's begin with a prayer. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who lovest mankind with the pure light of thy divine knowledge, and open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of thy gospel teachings. Implant in us also the fear of thy blessed commandments, that trampling down all carnal desires, we may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things as are well-pleasing unto thee. Without the illumination of our souls and bodies, O Christ our God, and unto thee we ascribe glory together with thine unoriginate Father and thine all-holy, good and life-giving Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Christ is in our midst. Okay. So on the third Sunday of every month, which was last Sunday, wasn't it? Yes. We, we do meals for our homeless outreach and then gather for a shorter session. And we got up here later than normal last week. We got up here at like 1.30, I think. And we always do class until 2 p.m. So we, we started talking. I had one little topic I was going to do, and then people started asking questions about another thing. And we started talking about church etiquette and attire guidelines. Because when you, when you step into the Orthodox Church, you are experiencing a kind of a different culture. You know, there's a fullness to it where it's not just a set of beliefs, but uh, a manner of living, a manner of life. And so that's reflected inwardly and, and outwardly. Anything that we truly believe would affect the whole of who we are, not just an aspect, because I'm not merely spiritual nor merely physical. And we talked about that at length when we discussed the Incarnation. And so one of the implications of that is that, first of all, in that the Church is a historical entity and um, a lived experience, there is, there is kind of a, a culture and a manner of life that is intentional. And so let's talk, let's continue our talk about church etiquette and attire guidelines. And I know people, especially I did, coming from a Protestant background, I had a hard time with what seemed like the, the merely outward aspects of the faith. You know, I thought, oh, that's just, why, why do we worry so much about that stuff? Like, who cares about the outward? Well, that's because I over-spiritualized my faith. And I, it was convenient for me to treat it like it was only spiritual or only mental or only intellectual. But like I was the kind of young adult who would, I would have sworn to you that I would never tuck my shirt in ever in my entire life, let alone wear something like this or slip on shoes, clogs or something like, oh man, no way. Tennis shoes, jeans, t-shirt, not tucked in. <clears throat> but you know, through as I was kind of mentioning in today's homily, through through seeking the truth, through desiring Christ and not my my preferred version of Jesus, but seeking the truth, I realized that again, it's it was me who needs to change. Who can I need to conform to Christ, not Christ who needs to conform to me. And this conviction that if Christ became man and founded a church by the grace of the Holy Spirit, there has to be a living and continuous experience of it. What is that like? And of course, if it's, if it's been 
on earth for over 2,000 years, then there is a, um, a way of life that, it, that has been experienced in the church. And that's kind of, you know, it, it's changed with different cultures. If you go to the church in Alaska, California, New York, Greece, Russia, you'll experience some cultural differences, not just language, but in pious practices and the style of the, the way the church is set up. But you'll know that you're in an Orthodox church. And so when I'm talking about general church etiquette and attire guidelines, I'm, I'm giving some general guidelines about how we approach our time together in church. I'm also giving some kind of pastoral guidance because, um, again, like in the Pacific Northwest, like, so I'll give you a funny example. Someone saw a picture of a church service at our church. Someone from the East Coast, an Orthodox church in the East Coast. And they were like, the men don't wear ties at church, you know? And they just, they all wear ties, and at least in that church that, where they go to. And here, we live in the Pacific Northwest, the godless Pacific Northwest, where people don't know what it means to be, you know, to have like a kind of a, a healthy piety, healthy religious respect. Everything is about this kind of flowing, easygoing spirituality, you know, linen pants and organic t-shirts and things like that. Um, and so for people to come to church and just think about even how they're presenting themselves, not having their, uh, you know, their flip-flops on or something is a shift. So for us, we have kind of our level of formality is kind of relative to the culture that we live in. But we should always be intentional about how we act, how we carry ourselves and present ourselves when we come to church. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit. So far we've talked about the first two sentences, I think, in our guidelines that are also available on our church website. So if you go to stpaulorthodox.org, if you haven't been to our website, please go and explore .org slash uh, if you go to the, there's a drop-down menu. I can peek at it really quick. It's, I think it's just slash media library or resource library. Let's see. Yep. Resource library. Resource. Oh, sorry. Tons of good articles, helpful articles on different topics. And then also the church attire guidelines are available on our members page. If you don't have access to the uh, members page, that's available to all like committed inquirers, catechumens, and members of the parish. So that's where our church directory is located. I have, and we have some other things uh, on there church attire guidelines and we're working on posting minutes for our parish council meetings and things like that. So anyway, if you need access to that, let me know. Okay, is he going to stay here until 2? Oh, okay, with the 
They're keeping each other busy. My son is staying. Kids practically raise themselves. You know. No, give them some sticks and some dirt. Come on, man. Not a computer. Modernist. Yeah, no, that's right. No, you're true. No. It's true. That's a big temptation. So, we talked about entering the church and venerating the icons. So, making the sign of the cross and bowing twice, venerating the icon, making the sign of the cross and bowing again. For the central icon, the other two, the little low ones that we have, are specifically there for the children, because the kids can't always reach the high ones. So, but I do see adults leaning down and venerating those ones too, and that's always sweet. That's okay. Um, but... Uh, and then when you, when you get over to the reliquary, there are, we have lots of relics. We have St. Herman, St. Gregory. We have an icon hand-painted of St. Thecla, hand-painted icon of St. Thecla over there. St. Moses. We have uh, the Mother of God. Then we have the big reliquary that has six relics. So you can't do that. It's not realistic for you to do that routine of two bows and a cross, you know, venerate for every single thing. What I generally do, if there's like a little group of things, I'll do my two bows and, or two, two crosses and bows, and then venerate each one. I'll make the sign of the cross and venerate St. Herman, cross and venerate St. Gregory, St. Thecla, the Theotokos, then the reliquary with the six saints. And then at the conclusion of that little era, then step back and do the full, the bow with the matanya. And I encourage everyone, you know, a matanya is a bow, a cross with a bow at the waist. If you can go down, all the way down like that, do it. If you can't, because it's hard, mobility or tight or whatever, just go do what you can. Just make the cross and bow. Um, <clears throat> so that's how we enter and exit the church by coming in and always greeting the saints. It's like uh, it's like greeting someone you love every time. You know, when you see someone you really care about, you shake hands. Well, in the old world, which uh, isn't just old, <laughs> actually, it didn't die years ago. It continues to live in the church. In uh, but it hasn't been preserved in the, in the West as much. But in the old world, you would kiss those that you honor, that you uh, respect. You kiss the hand of your grandparent. You kiss the, the cheek of someone that you're greeting. And we continue to, to venerate those whom we love. You see when we do the little kiss of peace during the service. And also, of course, when we venerate the icons. We're saying hi to the saints. And we, we'll talk more at other times in, in depth about Again, icons and veneration, but <clears throat> we're talking, focusing on the practical aspects. Remember that it's lovingly okay to greet, excuse me, okay to lovingly greet others in the church, but please avoid unnecessary talk in the church. And if a longer conversation is required, then either exit or just wait until later to talk. You know, 
My new tax man is amazing. Nope, wait, let's talk about that after the service or something like that. And then another interesting thing is that outside food and beverages are never allowed in the, in the nave, including water bottles, especially not coffees and things like the um, children's cups, snacks, etc. The only food that and beverage allowed are those related to the services. So the Holy Mysteries, bread that we get from when we have the Litia and Artoclasia on the eve of feast days, and Koliva, which we have at memorial services. But we don't bring outside beverages. If there are people who need to hydrate for some reason, then they would step out to have a drink rather than drinking in the service. Yep? Um, no, not inside of the, not, we don't eat or drink inside of the church in general. So even if it's during class, it's kind of like you wouldn't wear, um, you wouldn't wear a tank top in here for catechism class, you know, short shorts and a tank top just because it's not a service. The same kind of thing applies. Like we wouldn't bring snacks in just because we're having class. Now, if we were having class downstairs, That'd be a different thing, you know, kind of... Um, what's that? You can have a sip of holy water, you know, but you're not going to have a big, a whole mug of holy water during catechism class. All I'm saying is if you didn't want people to drink coffee, maybe you should make holy coffee. Holy coffee? Hmm. Nice try. Okay, uh, I don't know if there are any or many who have children here. Not, yeah, you do. Not yet. <laughs> yet. Um, please supervise children. If older children are not with parents, parents should know where they are. And it's our responsibility to lead our children into the experience of worship. So this begins with regular prayer at home. And then it continues at church with persistent and prayerful patience. Be sure to have them, them participate and engage in the prayers and services as much as possible. So say the prayers together. I'm a priest. I've been Orthodox for 17 years, 16, 17 years. My kids have been raised in the church. And I'm still like, you know how to say the Lord's Prayer. Come on, say the prayer with me. So we're saying it together. Come on, together. Say it together. Make the sign of the cross, you guys. You know, because it's not just for, for, for us to do it. And then um, them to, to kind of stand back and watch like, this is, um, this is our modus operandi as Orthodox Christians. And if we're converting to Orthodoxy, especially, it's less familiar, this, this manner of living. It takes a little extra effort. Even for those of us who have cradle Orthodox children, we still have to persist with them because kids are little boys, especially, are space cadets. They're paying attention, but they're looking the other way. And so we just have to patiently, don't get angry, but just... Come back over here. Come on. I mean, I'm, I'm on Ethan. Like when we say our morning prayers together, we have like a little brief morning prayer time that we do together. And I turn his body like 10 times during that one little, come on. Nope. Don't grab that. No, it's nothing. Say your prayers. But you know what has happened? We started really doing this like little prayer time together here. And he and I, specifically during this school year, we do a, a prayer before study because we do homeschooling, and we do a prayer for, um, what is it? 
against distraction. And uh, he recently, just last week, he said, well, I can do that prayer by myself. So, so he has the little prayer book, and I, instead of, before it was me pointing at every word and saying, say together, together, and this, just this last week, he goes, I think I can say that by myself. So don't give up, you know what I mean? Even if they seem like they're kind of, you know, they're looking that way, but a week later they're going to tell you the thing you said to them. It's amazing. So, uh, but we do have to lead them into prayer. Just patiently, persistently. And uh, it's good for us too. It's good for our salvation. So try to have them participate in the prayers and services as much as possible. And when we lovingly strive to lead our children into the presence of God at home and at church, they will follow. Kind of like I was talking with, with you, Amy, about confession. Like if people do confession like once a year, it will not feel normal to them. It will feel abnormal and forced every time they do it. If they come regularly, it's something that they're thinking about. It's a part of their therapy, you know, their health and well-being. Then it will feel natural. It will be something that they desire. And the same goes with prayer. You know, prayer needs to be normalized in our homes. Of course we're going to pray before a meal. There shouldn't be that, like, are we going to pray this time? Because sometimes you do and sometimes you don't. It's like, yeah, of course we are. It would be a rare exception that we don't. So there's a little shift, you know, that needs to take place. And it doesn't have to be like a full-on monastic service, too. I'm talking be realistic, be focused together. And then they're going to be kids anyway, but you're watering this, the seeds, you know, by, do, by being consistent. And then young children should be accompanied in the, in the nave and not wander about unattended. And from the beginning, our children should understand that they belong in church. This is really important. Our children should understand that they belong in church. There's a reason why we don't have church school taking place during the liturgy. Because everyone belongs here. From young to old and everywhere in between. Um, <clears throat> this is where we gather, particularly in the liturgy, we gather as a family. To, to sing together, to get the songs stuck in our head, you know, to worship together, and ultimately to receive the Holy Mysteries. So children can be taught even that they're participants in the liturgy, not just, uh, you know, uh, captive observers or something like that. And please, another shifting away from talking about kids, but this is a place where kids belong. It's really important for us to understand that. Read the life of St. Yakovos in that book that I love called The Garden of the Holy Spirit. From the time he was a little kid, he was learning chanting. He had a natural inclination to it, but in many of the lives of the saints, you hear that there are kids who found that this is a place where they belong. It's not just, you know, foisted upon them. Now, once we come into the church, the idea is that we're at this place that is the intersection between uh, heaven and earth. And we shouldn't be trying to leave in and out unnecessarily during the services. You need to pop out to do something. You need to go to the restroom. That's okay. But try not to enter and exit 
unnecessarily during the services. There should be no congregating in the fellowship hall during services either. If children need to be taken out, it should be the goal should be temporary with the intent of returning to the service as soon as possible. Not like a little fun break or a little playtime, but there should be un no unnecessary activities taking place during the divine service. The only thing that really should be taking place is uh, if there are people who are on the coffee hour crew who need to do a few things, they should do what they need to do. But then always the goal is to be up here during the service. And of course, this is a, a big adjustment, especially for inquirers and catechumens. One must not get a drink of water before Holy Communion or receiving the Antideron or Blessed Bread. So, so um, if you are new to Orthodoxy, you do what you do in the morning. But if you are a catechumen, you should be practicing fasting on Sunday morning, even though you're not receiving Holy Communion yet. But you should be fasting from midnight on. And then the first thing that touches your lips is the, the, bre the blessed bread that you get to receive when you're in the service. But if you're, if you're like, well, I'll fast when I'm finally baptized, you're going to have a terrible day that day when you're used to having your morning coffee on Sunday and, you know, a little breakfast or something like that. And all of a sudden, you know, you're psyching yourself out. So start that practice early. Of course, there are people who need to take some medication. If there are things like that, you have to take a little medication in the morning. Then please talk to me about that and let me know. But we do fast from midnight until we receive Holy Communion from everything. Unless for some reason we can't due to, you know, personal conditions. We can talk about that. But that's the, the prescription of the church. Um, let's see. After the doors, the doors, you hear that during the church. The doors, the doors, and wisdom let us attend. That was a time actually traditionally when anyone who wasn't receiving Holy Communion would exit at that time. The catechumens would go off for catechism class somewhere else during the second portion of the liturgy, during the, the, the portion where the, the holy mysteries were being consecrated and distributed to the faithful. So the catechumens would go off for class during that time, and anyone really who wasn't receiving Holy Communion would leave, and the doors would be shut because this, uh, the most sacred, kind of the apex of the service would be taking place at that time. And we have a hard time tuning into holiness these days. I mean, we're, we have a lot of room to grow. It doesn't just come intuitively to us nowadays, but we can, we can learn that sense of holiness. And when, when the priest calls down the Holy Spirit to consecrate the bread and the wine, there's something incredible, a miracle that's taking place at that moment and when the people are communing too. And I'll talk a little bit about um, standing and sitting too during the service in just a second. But those are things we should tune into. Um, so after that, the doors, the doors, it's more important to try to remain. Of course, if you have kiddos and they need to go out for a second, fine, that's fine. But the traditional posture for prayer and worship in the church is to stand. We don't lounge in the nave or tr try not to sit too much. Like 
I mean, nowadays we talked about this last class, you know, we're not as in tune with body language in our culture. Someone's crossing their arms, you don't think, like you. I don't think, he's mad at me right now. But in some cultures, if, you're, if you cross your arms, you're like closing yourself off. And everyone's seen that angry little kid who's like, mm, crossing their arms, you know. They're trying to prove a point. But most of us, it's just kind of comfortable if we do it. Um, or crossing their legs, you know. But uh, generally, it's considered to be a little too casual to be reclining and especially crossing your legs during the worship service, you know, in the church. Remember that story I told you last week when I was new and I was sitting right where Maria is and crossing my legs and proto-deacon said something very kind. He said, I can tell you're the kind of person who wants to do things right. And I was all, hmm, yes, <laughs> I am, actually. He said, you know, it's not really proper etiquette or, you know, our common practice to cross your legs in the church. It's considered a little too casual, a little too relaxed. And I went, oh, okay. It's more respectful to sit upright, you know. So from that point on, I tried. Now, that doesn't, I tried to remember not to do that. Uh, of, course, of course, that doesn't apply to when you're sitting. Those who sit down on the floor during the homily or something, if you, you know, crisscross your legs or something like that, that's fine. Uh, but these, are, these kind of relaxed positions are not postures that subjects assume in the presence of a king. We think about that, you know. Think about if, if someone that you uh, really loved and respected was present, you know, some celebrity or some royalty was walking into the room, you'd be like on the edge of your seat. You'd be leaning in. You would be attentive to them. You wouldn't be like, whatever, with your tongue hanging out, your legs, you know, either legs crossed or... Jesus Christ, yeah. But our Lord, like we're encountering... Now, okay, God is everywhere present. That's something that should convict us too because we don't always act like He's everywhere present. But especially when we're here, we're being informed of what it is to be like, to be in the, the immediate presence of God. So our education is taking place here. So it is a place not to be self-conscious. I make a distinction between being self-conscious is overly fixating on what people think about you. and You know, like being scrupulous. But to be self-aware. What is my posture like? In order, how am I carrying myself? I, it's interesting what happens if, if you sit up a little bit rather than relaxing. You become a little more attentive. You become a little more alert, a little more aware, rather than when you're like reclining at home, like when I'm reading a theological book on my recliner and I lean back. I should never lean back when I'm reading a fourth century Christian writing because my wife is going to tell me to go to bed because <clears throat> I start snoring. But uh, anyway, so the idea is, you know, for us to be, to be in that posture that is aware that we're in the presence of a, our Lord. We want to receive every little bit of teaching that He has. We want to be attentive and respectful to His presence. And not because He's offended if, if we're relaxed or something like that. It's our sign of respect to Him. You know what I mean? He's not going to say, look at that guy over there. Ooh. 
You know what I mean? Like, God isn't there to shame you. No, He's, but, but when we come into the presence of the dignity of the God who created us, we are given the vision of who we are, who we, the dignity with which we can live, we can carry ourselves. So sit up a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, rather than uh, sinking into your chair and pretending like nothing really matters. So what's on your mind? When I brought my granddaughters. Yeah. Talking about the icons? Yes. <laughs> Cute. So I told her, okay. So I said, okay, so when we went there, quiet, you know, no messing around, no playing, you stand next to, to grandma. Okay, all right. So we come in here, and the oldest one kind of sits back, and I said, remember, right before we walked in, I said, remember, all the angels and Jesus, mm -hmm. Jesus. And the scary, cranky and priest. Yeah, watching. yeah, yeah. So you have to behave and you have to stay right next to grandma. Yeah. And if you guys are lucky, then after everybody leaves, we'll go close enough and see them. <laughs> okay? Okay, grandma. <laughs> so the little one, when we walked in, she goes, grandma. I said, what? She goes, what's that? I said, those are angels. The, the Sherman. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, said, I said, those are special angels. And she goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'll tell you later. <laughs> I said, so the children remember watching. <laughs> watching you. Yeah. So, they were like so, so cute. Quiet. And the oldest one, once in a while, she forget, and she will sit over here, uh -huh. and then she'll remember. Now, <laughs> now, I will say, though, we are not hard on our visitors, too, though. Like, there are people who have no experience, no, some people never really been to church. Like, what do you expect? They're going to, they're going to treat the church like uh, any, anywhere else they go. They, or, they, or they don't know what to do. You know what I mean? So they're just going to kind of do their best. So it does take a little time. If someone chooses to come back, sometimes they come and they're like, I don't know how to carry myself in there, but there's something I want there. Then that's where we meet them. You know, we're not in... 19th century Russia where, you know, everyone knows the routine and it's like a military operation to go to church or something like that. Like everyone is, we're still, we're all in the process of becoming Christians. We're in the process of becoming Orthodox. So we're patient with people. And then also as people get to know me personally and seek, you know, kind of spiritual counsel and not just spiritual, but just practical guidance. Ask me little questions and I'll help you fine-tune, you know, your, uh, your practice, your approach to worship and things like that. I, I, I'm helping you with that transition. I don't expect you to be fully baked when you come to class, you know. This is a learning process. And there, sometimes there are other things that you really need to work on, 
you know, before you're too, too worried about the, the outward aspects. It's a lot easier to get your outward aspects in order, wear the right things and stuff, and then go and just be a total uh, nightmare to people for the rest of the week. You know what I mean? Be like, well, but I go to church and I wear a cassock or something like that. No, doesn't, you can't buy holiness. So anyway, it's not about the outward only or the inward only. This is what the dual natures of Christ teach us. Both. He united, you know, the divinity and the humanity. So our spirituality and our physicality are united. That's very important. We're regaining the integrity of our being as persons through, through even these things, through being intentional. So it's not about being, do you know that word pedantic? Do you know the word pedantic? Overly focused on outward things. Um, it would, it's easy to focus on that too much. But if you do, you're missing the picture as well. Keep that in mind. So, um, and let's see, where are we? Please, oh, try not to stand immediately in front of the doors. Back to practical things. These doors entering the nave. Because if you're standing there, some people kind of do it out of like maybe a sense of humility or tentativeness. That there's a little congregation that can, or congregating that can kind of take place right in front of the doors. But then you're just kind of blocking the way for people to come in. So come in. And actually, I like you. So if you come up toward the front, I'm not going to invite, you know. I will see you. But uh, it's someone who cares about you, who loves you. So, and so if you ever want to come toward the front, that's okay. But don't block the doors. And then there are points in the services when we should make a greater effort to stand. So... Unless you can't for some reason, you know, due to mobility issues, whatever it may be. Um, <clears throat> but if you can stand, then you should at these times. And I can send this out to you, too, if you want this. Usually I have a printout that I can hand you, but our printer's not working right now. Our printer technician is about to make his fifth visit to repair our printer, so... Yeah, say a little prayer to the, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, just brings us. I know, I was almost going to tell him, just pick it up and drop it and see if that works. So, uh, we used to say that when I was in the, in the music uh, industry. You know, we used to, if your guitar amp wasn't working, just drop it. One band was playing and it wasn't working and my friend started yelling, drop it. The guy was like, huh? And then he finished the concert because it worked. So there are times when we really, if, if, you, if you can stand, you should. Anytime there's sensing taking place, we're sensing the icons, but then we're also sensing you, you know. So out of reverence, you know, to receive that blessing, that prayer. But it is during the reading of the gospel. Look, the words of God are being conveyed to us. So during that time, we should stand if we can. During the great entrance, when the, when the priest and the servers are going all the way through the church, that's a time when we should all stand if we can. And then during the anaphora, which is the offering of the gifts, when we hear a mercy of peace, a sacrifice of praise, and um, all the way through the consecration of the holy mysteries, 
And when the priest and deacon are, well, when you're, when you're receiving a blessing is a good time to be upright. And then also when Holy Communion is being served, Christ is out here, like on our level. And so we should always be upright and respectful and attentive to the, the presence so, of Christ. So as long as communion is being offered, we should all be standing, including those who've already received communion. It's not like you just went through the drive through Now you can go relax. Christ is still there, still present. And there are others who are still having that sacred encounter with the God-man at the chalice. And so that's something that we should be aware of rather than just coming up, getting your little bit, and then, you know, especially not leaving the church after communion. The service isn't over yet. Don't receive Holy Communion and leave. This isn't drive-through service. So at the time of Holy Communion, when the all-holy body and blood of Christ have come into our midst to be served, we shouldn't sit without great need. And there are people, if you need to sit, that's okay. But if you can stand, again, do. Out of reverence, out of love for God. And then pay attention to the words of the service. If the priest or deacon says, stand upright, you actually hear that in the service. Wisdom, stand upright. I mean, I was, I was at a, um, oh, I was serving a wedding here. <clears throat> and we had lots of people who had never been to an Orthodox service. And right before the Holy Gospel, we say, Wisdom, stand upright. Let us hear the Holy Gospel. Wisdom, stand upright. You know, it's like, we just said it. I was, I was like, maybe they'll catch that. Stand upright. You know, peace be to all. Anyway, well, they didn't get the memo. So I was, so I said, the reading is from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. And then the choir, and I said, please, please stand up during that time. But it's interesting how we lack an awareness of what it is that's even going on around us. I mean, in this day and age, and I'm not condemning anyone. I think I do it too. We just let things go in one ear and out the other because we're not used to taking the things people say seriously, you know? So it's interesting to hear that stand upright. And it actually does mean to stand up. And if you can't, at least to be attentive. Sometimes that word, that's a Greek word, orthi, which means aright, like straighten yourself, get up, you know, like pay attention during that time. So sometimes you'll hear in translation, liturgical translation, wisdom, let us attend. That's the same word that's sometimes translated as stand upright, or in some translations that aren't as smooth, as say, wisdom aright. Wisdom aright, but you know, we don't really use that word aright, so stand upright is a little clearer. But it's an indication that it is actually time to stand up. In Mexico, they said be attentive. Yeah, be attentive is another one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then um, it's not appropriate to enter exit or, or exit or to sit when the gospel is being read, you know, unless something really urgent is going on. But the, during the gospel, it's like everything in the surrounding world and anything that is a temporary concern needs to just be put on pause for that few minutes when that gospel reading is taking place. And then when standing, 
So it's appropriate to have arms at the side or in the front, but generally not, you know, crossed or or behind the back or leaning against the wall, especially. Just um, throughout the service when standing. Just yeah. We should stand, you know, with our arms to our side. I mean, first of all, too, you're crossing yourself. You're engaging in the service. So you're using your body throughout the service, actually. But, you know, generally we don't put our arms behind our back or do casual postures. Um, you know, I guess if you want to gather your hands in front of you. Have, but generally hanging to the side, ready to the mic. We make the sign of the cross a lot during the service. And it's totally appropriate also to have a prayer rope you know, in your hand that you're using to help yourself to stay attentive during the service. You can be saying the Jesus prayer while simultaneously listening to the service. And uh, it, it actually helps with focus. And we talked about that. You and I talked about that a little bit, but we talked about that in class uh, a few weeks ago, I believe. So, um, and then the benches along the walls and the sides, um, are primarily for the elderly, infirm, mothers, and visitors, or those unable to stand during the services. So if you don't really need the seat, then don't use it. It's okay during class, because that's what we're using them for. But during the service, if you don't really need a place to sit down, then leave it for other people. Unless it's a, you know, a mellow Vespers service, and that's people tend to line the walls. It's interesting, you know. You don't usually find someone standing out in the middle of the, in the middle of the ocean during vespers, but uh, especially when everyone's here, reserve the the benches for people who who need them, and if you need them, you need to sit down or something, you know. Then that's what it's that's what it is there for. It is for you. Don't feel bad about that. Um, and then each person should only have one or two pieces of antiteron during the liturgy. So parents and godparents must monitor to ensure children don't grab more than two pieces. That's the little bread that we receive after Holy Communion. We have had problems with like, I don't know, problems make it sound, makes it sound kind of dramatic. We've had times, we'll say, when kids, kids get really excited about bread. Yeah. I like a little bit of bread. And, yeah. And so we had kids like grabbing a handful of it at times and then leaving this trail like a, a river of crumbs behind them and stuff like, like that. Like Hansel and Gretel. Like Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. And so, you know, it is blessed. It is blessed bread. It's blessed over the holy mysteries. And so we should only take a couple of pieces is okay. We usually cut it small enough so that everyone could have a couple. Now, if you're an inquirer or catechumen and you're not receiving Holy Communion yet, and people are bringing you that bread as a sign of fellowship, and you're like on your eighth piece and your mouth is all dry and you're like, I can't eat any more bread. Then you can hold that, the bread that someone gave you. I, I came up with this myself. I felt kind of clever about it. You can hold the bread there. Oh, I already have some. It's okay. Thank you. You know, rather than feeling like you have to receive the hospitality and eat half of a loaf of bread or something from, but you know, it is a blessing to, to receive that and it's really lovely when people do that. There, there are many members who want to extend that, that love to those who are, who are not uh, Orthodox yet. So, 
but especially with kids, you know, they, they want to just eat like a handful. So um, it's not a snack, but rather it's a blessing to those present who have, re who have not received the Holy Mysteries. And then when we've eaten after Holy Communion, it's also a way, a way of ensuring that we can completely consumed the Holy Mysteries. You have the body and blood of Christ, you have a little bit of bread, and it helps kind of absorb and helps you to swallow everything that you've received in Holy Communion. And uh, I had to give some families this reminder too. And titter on the, the blessed bread that we have should not be consumed before receiving Holy Communion. A little baby came up once, a little toddler, and mouth was just completely full of bread. They gave the little baby a bunch of bread before Holy Communion. And I was like, no, wait until right after it. It's kind of a, you know, a holy chaser, you could call it. And then the, the liturgy is not over until the dismissal is complete. This is really important. And I, I, don't, I don't know why this phenomenon takes place, but it seems like our church is like, like a third or maybe half of the people are just gone as we get toward the end of the service. Just thinking that today. I don't understand it. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I'm not frustrated by it, I'm, but I am confused by it. I'm giving the dismissal and I'm thinking, there, there were people front to back in the building and where are they now? So, Except your homily, a lot of people just kind of like... They kind of just do, kind of, I don't know. So, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to inquire about that and maybe give some reminders. But it may not be helpful to do it in announcements if they've already left by the time we're giving announcements. So, a bouncer. Okay, hired. You're hired. You and Maria. Oh, yeah. Okay. You have experience. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll keep that duly noted, you know. But, uh, but. Yeah, okay. Don't make me sick Maria on you. But, uh, but it, isn't, it isn't over. The service isn't over until we hear that through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy on us and save us. And then also, you know, we give announcements and have the prayers of thanksgiving after Holy Communion. Everyone really should stay through that. It's only about seven minutes long. So um, it's inappropriate to prematurely leave especially after having received Holy Communion. Having received, we give thanks. I see a hand over there. Yeah. So, uh, the part about the doors and doors yeah. has been dropped, or do you actually say that? We say that, yeah. So, we say that. We say the doors, the doors in wisdom, let us attend. And then, I believe in one God, and the, we start the creed. Like, those who are of us who are not Orthodox, mm -hmm. maybe traditionally should People traditionally would. Yeah. Yeah, that does come before the dismissal. Yeah. Nowadays, most people remain to the end. You know, that practice of leaving at that time, again, would have been to leave for catechesis or something, you know. Since you teach catechesis. Since I teach catechism, I can't. Some churches do that with Carnival Witnesses and Andrews in California. Yeah. Yeah, the, the narthex. Yeah. It's huge. That church is really big. And then all of a sudden after that, then they all begin to leave. But they yeah. have three priests. 
They have three priests, so plus they have ten people that teach catechism. Yeah, so then they go and... So, so they, they have ten people who rotate through doing catechism classes during the second half of the liturgy. And then the priest gives catechism classes only during the Nativity Fast and Great Lent. And he does them before Vespers on Saturday. So they have a different approach, you know. They have the personnel for it too. But the people do leave. I know of a, just a few parishes that do that. And I don't know if there will be, if there's nothing wrong with it, but it's, it's not uh, common, commonly practiced these days. Father, is it, uh, I typically leave after I get a blessing from you. Mm -hmm. Is that, should I stay for? Well, you know, if, if you are eventually going to be a communicant in the church, it's good for you to familiarize with the prayers of thanksgiving after Holy Communion. Okay, so don't you know, leave. just stay with everyone else. Yeah, that's, okay. that's what I would recommend. Um, and then exit right after that. There's enough coffee for everyone. So, um, and then following the dismissal, we should venerate the icons as was done upon entry of the nave and receive the blessing of the priest. And when receiving the blessing, you kiss the cross. The priest will be, I'll be holding the cross. Venerate the feet of Christ and the priest's hand, the hand holding the cross. And if you do not remain in the nave <laughs> for some reason, through the conclusion of the prayers of thanksgiving, if you've received Holy Communion, then if you don't hear those thanksgiving prayers here in the church, then you say them at home, just so you guys know. They can be found in most prayer books. And then, also, I seem like a really bad guy today. Don't begin eating in the fellowship hall until we ask the blessing for the food. Coffee and drinks should not be consumed downstairs during the liturgy. It's only appropriate to get a drink after the dismissal of the liturgy. So those are some basic church etiquette guidelines. Any questions? Any more questions about that so far? And again, you know, it's like it's like jumping into a river that's already flowing. So, you know, you learn, you kind of learn by being carried with the current in a way. Um, and that's okay. That's, there's nothing wrong with that because that's what it means to be part of a living tradition. And it's a beautiful thing. You get cleaned by the water and you get swept away by it. And we help each other, you know, as we're... Um, Traversing. I have a yeah. About relics, about the new thing. Yeah. As yeah. Yeah. The relics are the bones. Yeah, a bone frag. Usually a bone fragment um, from yeah actual, from one of the saints. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so how, 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 how do they get the bones? I mean, these it, saints that died, you know, six hundred years ago. They yeah. Yeah. We have. You know, we have Saint Dionysius, who was a contemporary of Saint Paul. He was converted by Saint Paul at the Areopagus. So, yeah, um, the the they've been preserved and and passed down and usually noted. You know, um, they come from usually the the typical practice is if a person is buried. And um, they're considered to be, potentially to be a saint. After a few years, they will exhume the bones. They'll exhume the relics. And in some cases, 
like in the case of St. Herman, there's an interesting thing that happened with St. Herman's relics that they kind of splintered like into little pieces. Now, in some cases, you pull up, it's like a skeleton or, you know, but his splintered. And so the way they interpreted that was he did that so that he could continue his missionary work throughout the world. It was easy to take little portions and distribute, you know, portions of St. Herman. But to come into contact with the bone is to come into contact with the part of the very body that was the living temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's not morbid or weird or, you know. Um, and if you read like the life of, Carl remembers this, the life of St. Polycarp, you know, or St. Ignatius. You know, they, get, they would, the Christians would always reverently gather up the bones. They wouldn't go, oh, that's sick, you know, that's the bones and guts of someone who used to be alive. Or was eaten by lions or something like that. I mean, they would always, they, they loved the, not just the soul, but the body. Just like, just like the, the women, the murbearers went to anoint the body of Jesus after his crucifixion. Joseph and Nicodemus, or Nicodemus as people say, um, they, they gathered aloes and spices to anoint the body of Christ, to respect his, the very body of the God-man. After he was crucified, they didn't say, oh, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's died, so let's just destroy his body and, you know, burn it or something like that. There's always been an understanding that there is a, a connection between, you know, again, who the person is spiritually and physically. And the relics of saints have proven to be uh, wonder-working at times, too. The grace of God that penetrates, again, not just the spirit, but the body of man. When the person becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit, it continues to to convey the grace of God, and at times relics are, are miracle working. And then in another another way of looking at it too is again just just to have it there. It's like it's having that a little that saint is there with us too. It's just an immediate point of contact with them, and so out of respect for them, we we venerate just like icons. We venerate relics. Yeah, what are you thinking? Um, well, I was saying the bodies of saints that are in this day relatively incorrupt, and they have their entire body on display. So there are times when that happens. Yeah. I think of John Maximovich as well as other. That's correct. Russian ones, and I remember there was a big point about the brothers Karamazov. <laughs> yeah. It's awesome how it starts rotting. Yeah. They thought, oh, he's not a saint, you know. Why is it then that, how does that process work? Is it like they bury him and they exhume him, or is it just like they know that they want to keep this person around, so they, how does that work where it ends up being the entire body instead of just fragments or skulls? Well, some of them, like you said, they, some of them are remain incorrupt. We have incorrupt relics. So ones that do not, they, they don't um, decompose like other bodies do. And it's considered a, like miraculous, like St. John Maximovich. I mean, his skin, his teeth, his hair. I mean, they have to change his vestments because his vestments kind of wear out over time. But, but his body remains incorrupt. And so there, there are several saints who are like that. But not, a, not, all, not all relics remain incorrupt. Like, like I said, you'll, they opened up St. Herman and... They could have been disappointed and been like, oh, we thought he was a saint. No, they knew he was because of the grace of God that was revealed in his life. And so 
Um, that's not the only indication of sanctity, you know, of holiness. But you have, the, just so I can push that a little bit further, do you have any mm-hmm. you also have specific mer- examples in your head of miracles being worked by relics or... Well, there, yeah, I mean, there are endless miracles. People healed from cancer. People healed from all kinds of long-term ailments. I mean, they're constantly... Like, people go visit St. John Maximovich, who lays in repose in San Francisco. And it's typical for, for people to write a letter to St. John and put it under his reliquary, we call it. But it's like a big casket with glass on the top. And... Uh, <clears throat> and someone, there's a story from the life of St. John uh, after, or from one of the books about him. I don't remember exactly where it is, but someone was like, uh-huh, why would I write a letter to some dead guy laying in a casket? And then the person fell asleep and they saw a vision of St. John in their sleep and he goes, I read all the letters that people write to me. Like, okay, the person woke up and went, Okay, fine, I'll write him a letter. <laughs> so, anyway, and uh, there, there are innumerable stories. Uh, so, I don't want, th- and I don't want to get into that too much, because I, I need to talk about the church attire guidelines. Doesn't that sound fun? <laughs> and we try to keep it fairly basic. Uh, this one is less detailed than, or not as long as the etiquette. And then I think we will have time to talk a little bit about developing the orthodox ethos or atmosphere in your home. Unless you guys have tons of questions about what to wear at church. Church attire. So our our attire should be fit for honoring the king of all. And we should generally dress up for those occasions of great significance in our life. The Eucharist is the most significant event, experience of all. What we wear informs us of who we're meeting and what we're doing. So at all services, especially at services in which we receive Holy Communion, we should try to wear nicer clothes, and this includes children. If children think that they're exempt when they're little, they're going to think that they're exempt when they're old. That's what happens. Children become teenagers who become adults. So if we don't teach them at a young age, then they will think that they are continuously exempt. So this is something that we need to overcome, that our culture has gotten wrong. There are things that are kid-appropriate, but our kids can learn. We, we dress up a little bit. We don't wear shorts to church on Sunday, for example. So um, we should dress up rather than casually. This practice should also apply to participating in the sacrament of confession. So you're not coming for a worship service, but you're coming for confession. You know, don't wear, um, don't wear, you know, leggings or workout clothes or a tank top or something like that. Men and women alike. It's not just, you know, not just women, but not overly casual even when you're coming for confession. And really, when whenever we're in the nave of the church, when we're when we're going to be here. For some reason, like, for example, at choir practice. When we're at choir practice, we shouldn't be dressed too casual because we're still in the church. And then men, women, and children should dress modestly 
not in a flashy way that would bring attention to themselves. So please don't wear tank tops, t-shirts in church with messages on them especially, you know, and athletic shirts with logos on them. And people get really worked up about sports teams and stuff. Imagine if you wore a 49ers shirt here, it would be the talk of the, that'd be the talk of the town or Raiders. I know I'm from California, so but uh, anyway, so the idea is Oh, the Saints. Okay, if you wore the New Orleans Saints, maybe I'll give it. Because we like Saints. No. No, just we try to avoid, you know, logos and things. Like your shirt says Columbia on it. That's not a big deal. But, you know, we're talking. Yeah, it's no, it's. It's not a, yeah, it's not a big deal. You know what I mean? Uh, little things like that. But we're talking about sports logos or slogans and things like that, you know. I love New York, or Coca-Cola, or something like that, or whatever it may be. Just do it. Try to avoid stuff like that. It's just, it's just kind of distracting. Yeah, pr if prayer, just do it. Okay, fine. Or I was, I was telling one of the, one of the uh, boys who came to meet with me recently, he had like Adidas on, and when I was a teenager, I was really involved in Protestant youth culture, and I went to this youth conference, and they had a shirt, it was the Adidas logo, but they put a Jesus on there. No, don't do that, that's just corny. So we just try to avoid things that are, you know, slogans or logos and things like that. I mean, look at the way I dress pretty. Well, I mean, I, well, when I have my vestments on, I get to dress up a little bit more than everyone else. But the idea is really, like, I'm, it's not about me drawing attention to myself. It draws us into the service. So, um, okay, Bob, Con continuing, oh yeah, go ahead. On the simplicity, what about, you know, some people want to emulate the, the monks, the holy people who just wore the same clothes over and over? Mm -hmm. What about that? You wear the same outfit every time? You know, I think it's not a bad idea. To have like one or two simple outfits that you wear. I mean, like when I, um, before I was a priest, I had like three pairs of black pants and a couple button-up shirts and two different sweaters. And I just kind of wore them in different combinations, like wore really simple clothes. And it was so nice. Like I didn't have to think too much about what I'm going to wear. And it was always appropriate, like for any context. Like if I was hanging out with some friends, I could roll up the sleeves little bit or if I was going to get really hot I have a t-shirt on underneath so I could take it off if I'm throwing a football around or something like that but you know um, I think I think that's okay I mean if it's if you can get away with that some people like to be a little more snazzy or have a little more variety here and there but I think I think that's okay if that's something that makes you feel like you're not being too of uh, stifled or too legalistic too you know what I mean but if it's just simple it's it's easy my wife is always a little jealous of me she's like you never have to think about what you're gonna wear you know i just get up in the morning i put on my cassock and i'm out the door especially for church and that's another thing i like about the head coverings when when women we talked about this a little bit last time like if you wear a head covering you don't have to worry too much about your hair and a head covering is i mean it's modest but it's also lovely too you know it's not like this totally, um, it doesn't destroy your beauty. So that's a simple, women are a little blessed in that way because they, you know, 
they could cover, cover their head. They don't have to worry too much about their hair. And, but loose flowing clothing is really, it's comfortable. It's modest. And I was like, yeah, I was looking at your outfit earlier today. I'm like, you basically have like a big kind of blankie on or something. No, it's not a blankie. But yeah, it looks familiar. Kind of how, how I feel every, every day. But, mod, you know, modesty. And I mentioned this last, last week. Really think about you should be able to do a bow without anyone seeing um, something they shouldn't see. You know, we do the cross and bow. Some, they shouldn't be able to see chest, men, or, men and women alike. You know, a glimpse of your chest or your buns in the back or anything. Forgive me, but, or un, underwear. You don't want to be careful. So clothes that, you know, that's, that's long enough. Provide enough coverage for you to do a bow or a prostration, if, you know, if we're doing that. Just things like that. So it's really practical. It's not just about um, b- being uh, traditional or prudish or anything. Um, it is about being respectful, but it's also, again, it's really it's simple. It's practical. It's funny, real quick. I, uh, yeah. I used to always wear like yoga pants like every other gal. Uh huh, yeah. And after coming here, I just started like becoming more uncomfortable just going to the store like that. Mm hmm. And I started wearing skirts at everywhere I go, like 99% of the time. Yeah. And I get more compliments on what I'm like wearing a skirt from uh-huh. multiple people than just yeah. wearing regular black mm-hmm. yoga pants, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, well, thanks, you know, you look great. I think people are not used to like yeah. people dressing more modestly, yeah. so I think people appreciate it yeah. more. Modesty has a way of revealing beauty, I think. Mm-hmm rather than just putting everything straight out there, right in front of you, every contour, every, you know what I mean? It's just like, there's nothing there, you know? Um, So, yeah, I think it's respectful and beautiful. And uh, so anyway, I don't want to comment too much on that, but not in a flashy way. And then, you know, please don't wear tank tops, t-shirts, shirts, I already said that. Shirts with collars um, that are more formal are more traditional. For, for guys. And then to better attain the orthodox ethos. Again, I'm not, I don't look around at people and I don't go, what are you, what are you wearing today? You know what I mean? Unless there's like something that's really obvious. And most of the time I won't even mention it because like you said, after, t- after being immersed in the services and the atmosphere of the church, people will kind of make little changes, little adjustments. Maybe I should. Maybe I should tuck in my shirt. You know, maybe. I know. Mommy told me. Thank you. Um, so little, you know, we make little adjustments like that um, over time. And it's okay. Don't resist that. If you feel like the desire to make some little subtle changes, you're not going to um, lose your identity or something like that. It's a lot. It's actually pretty nice. Um, <clears throat> so, to better attain orthodox ethos regarding modesty in dress, please don't wear, see, women's dresses with, like, only straps at the shoulders. So if you have that, just straps should be covered. I learned the word, since I have had daughters, I learned the word bolero. Do you know what a bolero is? Yeah. It's like a little sweater kind of thing that covers, you know, just the shoulders and... You know, those, it's so funny. Where's my bolero? But um, 
you know, we try to cover up the, sh the shoulders and try, like, try not to have any straps showing, undergarments especially, things like that. And uh, we, please, no mini skirts or skirts above the knees. Again, you can't do a bow. I mean, you really can't venerate the icons if the clothing that you have on is too short. Shorts. And uh, oh, no yeah, so no skirts above the knees or skin tight clothing. And then likewise, dresses should have backs and should not be low cut in the front or, or, or bare midriffs. And then men and women alike should not have their chest showing at church. Chest should, should be completely covered. And then I will mention shorts in just a second. And uh, in general, both men's and, men and women's pants should be dress slacks, not jeans. Someone asked me last week about, like, do women have to wear dresses? No, I mean, we don't require that. I've noticed that, again, naturally people, through just being in the services, they start feeling more comfortable wearing dresses, but many wear slacks. But we don't wear jeans that are, you know, casual, especially not ones that, are, that have the ever so popular, the distressed look. You know what I mean? It's like, where's the, where, where's the whole front of that pant leg? It's just gone, you know, or something like that. Um, so that's really popular these days. So not, but not in church. Um, so it's acceptable for women to wear pants during services at St. Paul, but a long cut or dress skirt is traditional dress in most Orthodox cultures, especially if like you go to the monastery. Again, you can go look at the guidelines for a monastery visit at the St. John monastery website and they will give you you know they'll say arms covered you know legs covered and uh, traditional apparel and then dress shoes are nice casual shoes are recommended our traditions not to be barefooted in our services um, now we do a lot of standing so comfortable shoes are important though you know something that you can stand in so I don't know how some of these people do like heels and things like that in Orthodox services. I see it on occasion. And uh, do you do heels still? You you do? Yeah. But because of your neuropathy, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I have a so, really high arch. Yeah. So it works for you. But, you know, like, uh, what are some of the, the comfortable shoe brands? I mean, Birkenstocks are popular in Orthodox Church. Merrill shoes. Are flip-flops that bad? Clogs. I, I live in Flip-flops are, yeah, we never, I mean, do you have them on right now? Oh, yeah. We can't hear you, though, when you're walking. Yeah, I don't know, I have, I didn't notice. I guess, oh, yeah, you're wearing your dress flip-flops, you know. Yeah, I was going to, I was, I was going to a service with um, some extended family out of town, and we were going, this was years ago, and uh, we were going to, like, a Christmas service at their Catholic church. I think I don't know if it was before I was Orthodox, but because once I became Orthodox, we were just here, you know, every holiday. But I remember, it was the first time I think I ever heard someone say, "Go get your dress shorts on to one of our, you know, your nice ones, you know, maybe they're black or something like that." But okay, but uh, I don't know. I mean. As long as it's not distracting, we generally don't wear flip-flops, but I didn't even notice that you had them. So, um... I've never noticed because your dress is always long. Yeah. I wish I wear them to the floor. So, um... You know, that's funny, my... That's how my... That's how my, uh... My, my 
Taylor, I have a Taylor, sounds so dorky, because I, I don't have a variety of clothing, but the clothing I do wear is usually fit proper. Um, and I have a tailor in uh, Romania who's, who makes my vestments. Yeah, and he, he says this, he likes my, um, my white robe that I wear under my vestments. He likes it to go like almost to the floor. He says it's more elegant. So, mm -hmm. um, that's hard. It's hard for me to find yeah. things that are oh, long enough. Oh, yeah. Yep. Too short. So, anyway. Um, and if leggings or tights are worn, you mentioned that, but they should be worn under something, but shouldn't be worn just alone, like alone as pants. And I, I had to mention that because um, it's just so popular these days, you know. And again, the purpose of this isn't to look around and spy on other people and think, hey, Father said that we, we're not supposed to do that. It's like every one of us is, is trying to cultivate a sense of reverence and holiness in our own lives and in our children's, in our families. But don't worry about other people, okay? And if you're distracted by other people in the service, then come stand up, right? I, next to me. I promise I won't moon you during, this, during the service or anything. Forgive me, but, you know, come closer than to a place where you're not distracted. If other people, if you think other people are the problem, then you're the one with the problem most of the time. Forgive me for saying that. Unless... You know, you come in and, and it's just absolute and utter chaos, which is not the case here. But there are people from all different walks of life and backgrounds. And everyone is at a different place in their um, journey to orthodoxy. Some have zero religious background. And some show up wearing a suit, you know what I mean? And I don't know, I mean, when you first came, you were really dressed up and, you know... <clears throat> so that's because of your experience and your background. So there's a big variety, is my point. Um, do, do, do. Beware that in some more traditional Orthodox churches, especially monasteries, women are not permitted to enter the church without wearing a dress and a head covering, and men are also not permitted to enter unless dressed conservatively, arms, cover, arms and legs covered. And a head covering... So I have an article on this. If anyone's interested in it, let me know. But traditionally, women in all Christian traditions have worn some form of head covering. Even, even Protestantism up until recent years. Some kind of hat or head covering or something. So Orthodox Church is one of the few traditions where this practice continues. And at St. Paul, we don't require it, but neither is it discouraged. So the decision to wear a head covering um, or whether or not to wear one should be made by each woman individually without feeling pressured one way or the other. It's not something that's required in our archdiocese. Um, so if anyone ever wants to talk to me about it, you know, you can talk to me about that kind of thing. Question? Yeah. Yes. That's a great question. You know, I so it's not necessary. I mean, so... If you're venerating icons, I see we have to clean lipstick off of icons. So some people, yeah, stop wearing lipstick. You guys are, yeah, that big chapstick. No, there's a YouTube video about girls that were kissing the mirror in the school. And the editor got tired of them having to clean them off. And the 
principal called him, and it kept happening. Mm -hmm. So he called him in and showed him how he cleaned it. <laughs> so what he did is he walked over, he took the brush, and he went in the toilet bowl with it. That's funny. So So actually there that's a good point though about the lipstick. Thank you for asking. Um you know it's good to blot it at least. Some people have I don't know what do they have like they have like stains. Non they have like non non removable permanent super glue lipstick or something. Yeah. So then I found, I tried so many different, uh, the ones I've taken. Some of them will not come up with nothing. Yeah. You know I mean, literally, I have to like. That's I what I'm talking everything. about. So yeah. then I found a few perfect ones that they will come off. You can wipe it maybe, but it doesn't. Yeah. You just don't want it to transfer onto the icons. Or no. another thing that can be a little awkward, like when people are receiving Holy Communion. If I distribute Holy Communion and I pull the spoon out of their mouth and then like lipstick wipes off on the spoon, then I'm wiping it off. So that's just not good. So you want to make sure it's something that either stays on or if you're one of those people who can get away without it, it's not that, you know, no one's going to judge you here. If, if you, like, I wouldn't look at you and say, oh, what was she thinking? She should have put on some rouge and lipstick today or something. You know what I mean? Um, so... And then sometimes, this is a, a good practical little comment. Sometimes a person may not be able to change clothes for church due to reasons of logistics, like having come directly from work or a sports event, and they, but they want to come to Vespers in the evening or something like that. And uh, if a decision has to be made either not to go to church or to go casually dressed, then we encourage you to come as is. What we request is that the individual, if you're, you know, if you've been painting a house and you're covered in splotchy, you know, um, clothing or something, then just sit, you know, kind of head toward the back. In the, on the weeknights, it's not that big of a problem, too, because it's pretty dimly lit. Kind of create a real, like, uh, mellow, sober, prayerful atmosphere. And so you're not going to get a lot of attention. As soon as the light turns on for choir practice. As soon as the light turns on for <laughs> choir practice, yeah, everyone, uh, the collective gasp will take place. <gasps> He's wearing his Nike shirt. But, uh, but anyway, if you can't, you know, and it's, you learn little, it's kind of funny, you learn little techniques too. Like, there was this group of Orthodox kids that were traveling around doing... Um, doing little presentations and songs, and they would always have their jeans and t-shirts, but the girls always had their skirt, they just pull it right over their jeans even, and then the boys had their button-up shirt, they just slide on over their t-shirts, you know, if they, if they had to pop into a church service or something like that. And so, you know, you could always bring a little extra, you know, some, keep something in the car if you need to, or a sweater, even a sweater is okay to throw over the top, you know, uh, to cover up your... Um, McDonald's, you know, if you're just coming from work and it says, you know, I was going to say you're away right away. That's, Mc, that's Burger King. But I don't know if they have that anymore. But anyway, you know what I mean? There's just little things that you can do to kind of account for the fact that you're coming to church. But it's more important to, to be here than not to be here most often. So keep that in mind. Because it's, again, 
this isn't just all about the rules. You know what I mean? Orthodoxy would be far too easy if it were just about following a bunch of rules. Too easy. But it's not. It's about a change of the heart. And doing, our doing flows from being. You know? So the outward and the inward are wedded to one another. And that's important. So please don't worry about uh, being judged or getting everything right. You know? Um, it's not the it's not the cassock that makes the man. You know what I mean. For example, although I will tell you an interesting story, we we won't have time to to get into any other topics for today because we're about to wrap up. But the bishop who ordained me when he went to seminary, he. Uh, he was dressed with a cassock. Seminarians are tr traditionally given a cassock to wear during their time at seminary. And then a lot of them continue to wear it if they end up being ordained as deacons or priests. And uh, he said he got his cassock when he went off to seminary. And he came home and his dad leaned into him and he said, he grabbed the cassock and he goes, do you know what this is? And he was like, black cloth? And he goes, no, this is fire. You know, and he was, he was saying that what this represents is the dedic you know, dedicating your life to God. It's like anyone could put, put a police uniform on and parade around as a police officer. But if they truly are, you know what I mean? If they, tru if they truly are, then they will be one both inwardly and outwardly. They won't just look the part. They will be it's a part of who you are. Same goes with the priesthood, but it's not just for priests. I mean, the same goes for Christians for the whole of our life. Okay, so does that make sense? I like talking about the mystical and the theological things, and we'll get we'll get back into that next week. I think. I just as the humble heart. A humble heart. Yeah. And it really is kind of a simple way of life. You know? When, when it comes out, it's nice not to have to worry too much about the superficial things. Yeah, if you're living yeah. humbly, you don't care yeah. what anybody thinks. Yeah. And guys, you know, if guys have, if they have questions, they can ask me and, uh, or talk to other men who've been in the church for a while. And women, like, look to other women who've been Orthodox for a while. Ask them, you know, how do you, do, how do you navigate this? How do you do it? You know, I probably told you guys before, I was talking to my wife about it, and I said, well, if anyone has, if anyone has uh, questions about how they should dress, they could just, like, look at me and follow my example. You know, see, I'm all covered, and my wife was like, no, that won't work. You don't understand women. And I went, okay, fine. Sure. She's like, don't tell them that in catechism. They need a little more, you know, a little more nuance, a little more guidance, but... So support each other, too, and ask people who have been, you know, living this life for a while. And you'll, um, <clears throat> we're part of a community of people. We're working out our salvation together. and All of these things, don't worry about nitpicking and getting too caught up in the details. Uh, we'll work out all of those details with time. You know, what's most important is, you know, kind of 
cultivating the garden of the heart and then seeing what comes from that through prayer, like you said, through humility and through being a part of a living community, you know, a dynamic organism that is the body of Christ. That's more important. So it's two o'clock, so it's time for me to let you guys go. Are there any other quick little questions or anything? Not for now? Okay, so for those of you, I guess you two, who just showed up for your first time, most sessions aren't like this, you know, talking about, but, but it is pretty basic, you know, nuts and bolts, and then we are going to, um, we're just working our way through a study called The Faith in Orthodox, or Understanding Orthodox Christianity. We kind of read through a little text together and I comment on it. Sometimes I read two lines and then we talk for an hour about that. But uh, anyway, let's conclude with a prayer and then God willing, we'll gather together again for class next Sunday at, at 1230. Okay. After we get taught how to use the computer again. <laughs> Let's see, where am I? Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. O Lord, I know not what to ask of Thee. Thou alone knowest what my true needs are. Thou lovest me more than I myself know how to love. Help me to see my real needs, which are concealed from me. I dare not ask for either a cross or a consolation. I can only wait on thee. My heart is open to thee. Visit and help me for thy great mercy's sake. Strike me and heal me. Cast me down and raise me up. I worship in silence thy holy will in thine inscrutable ways. I offer myself as a sacrifice to thee. I put all my trust in thee. I have no other desire than to fulfill thy will. Teach me how to pray. Pray thou thyself within me. Amen. Through the prayers of our Holy Fathers, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy on us and save us. Amen. God bless you all. Go in peace. Thank you so much. I look forward to being together again soon.